ओम नमो भगवते so um i'm probably going to get a whole bunch of hate mail from this topic tonight we'll see how it goes there is a singular idea that must be dealt with if a person wants to really really grow spiritually the biggest single obstacle to spiritual development is what's called in in sanskrit the ahankara this word kara term means like the designation and aham means i am and it doesn't mean like you know in the philosophical sense i am you know i exist but it speaks to the adoption of so many false ideas about who i am and the foundational one is the idea that this body i have on is me i am therefore male or female i am a kiwi or an aussie or chinese or i'm a russian or whatever i uh, where i totally identify with this garment this temporary garment as being myself this false ego the ahankara is the great enemy in the sense that it really affects my whole sense of being it is this that makes me completely self-centered and the tendency towards being selfish and the whole thing of self-importance over and above anything else and we are completely unaware of how deeply affected we are by this this state of consciousness this covering of the soul itself you have both a gross physical body and you have a subtle body that houses the living being the atma the self and this subtle body is got three distinct layers there are three distinct things this very first covering is this false ego the false concept of of i me and mine and the tendency towards tremendous self-importance over and above everything so i'm just going to read you a little quote i read it last weekend at the retreat it's from a guy by the name of gus seth uh, speth gus gus speth well tongue twister and he's like an environmental lawyer from america he was an advocate of uh, of the um and the dean of the yale school of forestry and environmental studies he is the former administrator of the united nations development program so li- listen to this one because it's like really really important everybody's concerned about the environment and you know climate change and 
all the degradation and everything. So he says, I used to think that the top environmental problems were biodiversity loss, eco ecosystem collapse, and climate change. So he said he used to think that these were the, the, the big problems. I thought that 30 years of good science could address these problems. I was wrong. The top environmental problems are selfishness, greed, and apathy. And to deal with these, we need a cultural and spiritual transformation. And we scientists don't know how to do that. So he's basically saying, you know, this whole push for alternate energy and, you know, recycling and everything like that's really going to fix it. Absolutely not. We have an underlying and fundamental problem to do with the selfishness and the self-centeredness. And we understand from a spiritual perspective, this boils down to a kind of mentality like I am God. I'm the center of things. I am all important. Everything is about me and my experience and, and what I want and what I'm going to try and get. And this is the great enemy of actual spiritual vision. This thinking and this state of consciousness plunges us into a deep state of ignorance that is always going to result in unhappiness, in, in, in suffering for ourselves and, and for others. So there is nothing, there is no greater thing to stroke the false ego than this concept or the idea that I am God. The average person maybe doesn't distill it down to that level. They don't say that. And they may even be shocked if you said, oh, you, you just think you're God. No, I don't. <laughs> no, but they just see themselves as the central enjoying agent. But the reality is, it is that state of consciousness that is so destructive for our peace, for our happiness, for our actual spiritual vision, for our spiritual experience. However, that idea is it, it permeates the world in the form of so-called spiritual teaching. There is this idea that has come out of a certain school of teaching in India and actually become very pervasive. This idea that literally I am God. Literally, there is no distinction, there is no difference between me, the spiritual being, and any higher spiritual reality. 
So this idea that there is no distinction between the Atma and what is called the Paramatma, the Supreme Soul, it leads to this very erroneous conclusion that I am, in fact, God. And it's astonishing how pervasive it is. I, I would just took a look online at how many people seriously propose the idea that we are all God, only we've sort of forgotten it and we need to meditate or something and to re remember this situation, this reality. This idea has also been very strongly promoted by a quite large number of people that are held to be gurus or spiritual teachers. And I will make a statement that a lot of people will be unhappy about. This idea actually comes from a lack of understanding or more charitably an incomplete understanding. It comes from an incomplete understanding of the nature of the soul itself and the nature of the highest spiritual reality. If you want to actually come to know your actual spiritual being, who you are as a spiritual entity, you must answer the question, what is my essence? What is my position? Where do I fit in relation to everything else? And what is my most natural function? If I am stripped from the false ego and all material consciousness, what is it that is the nature? What is the natural expression of the Atma, of the soul itself? Um, It is possible to have, I myself have had to a limited degree, the experience of leaving my body and encountering this vast ocean of spiritual energy and light that is called Brahman. If we ask the question, what is the essence, what's the actual essence of myself, the Atma? And the answer is Brahman, which we could translate that in English as spirit. If I ask, what is the essence of God? The answer is also Brahman or spirit. And so it's like, oh, okay, that's me. <laughs> we're, we're all the same. But the reality is that there is a clear distinction between the individual being and a higher spiritual being or reality. When you look at um, some of the Vedic texts, you have in the Mundaka, Upanishad, a very famous verse, it says, this is the truth, 
As sparks of similar form spring forth by the thousands from a strongly blazing fire, so from the absolute truth are produced various living beings, O gentle one, and there also they go. So, okay, I can take that and think if I just take that in isolation, I may come to the conclusion that, yes, there is no distinction between me and any higher spiritual reality. That, that, is, that is me. But uh, this is also in, in another one of the Upanishads, the Brihad, Aranyaka Upanishad. It states, as tiny sparks fly from the fire, so all the individual souls have come from the Supreme. So if I just take those in isolation, everybody's going to think, okay, well, there's no distinction between me and God or any higher spirituality. We're, we're all, all one. We're all the same. There is no, no difference. But if we read further in the Vedas, like in the Vedanta Sutra, there are three verses that state that by turning away from the Supreme Soul, they, the jivas, the individual souls, have become absorbed in the separated energy of the Lord, known as the material energy. And because of this, they are bewildered and deluded about their real identity. And due to this delusion, they are critically bound up in the terrible snare of lust, greed, and karmic activities. Their false identification with the gross and subtle bodies as being their real self is the cause of their distress in material existence. In the Bhagavad Gita, we have another a verse also. Here, it, what we've just read, what happens when the, when the individual living being comes into contact with the material energy? We become overwhelmed and utterly forgetful of our true eternal spiritual being. We become caught up by just chasing pleasure, different types of experience, trying to own, trying to control, trying to gather things and bring them to us. And as a result, we engage in activity that has a karmic result, which binds us to the material world in a cycle of perpetual birth and death. Is this depressing? It actually is, but it's okay. We don't have to be stuck there. In the Bhagavad Gita, in the 15th chapter, in the 7th shloka, it states that the living entities, the jiva, the soul, in this conditioned world, they are my eternal fragmental parts. And due to conditioned life, they are struggling very hard with the six senses, which includes the mind. The whole experience 
of material life, fundamentally, it states, you cannot find perfection. You cannot find a home here. You cannot find perfect love here. You cannot find perfect shelter here. That is not the nature of the material energy. But when we are fully engaged in it, as like that's the only reality, it brings unhappiness and it brings misfortune to one and all. And what happens is the appetites become stimulated and we think that if we can only consume more stuff and have more experiences and more sensual stimulation, then I will find the perfection, then I will find the happiness. But the reality is that I, I cannot control this world. I'm not, I'm not supreme. I, can, you, can you run red lights continuously and not have any consequences? We're controlled by red lights. We're controlled by the weather. We're controlled by desire and urges that come to our mind. We are controlled by Facebook and Twitter and all kinds of stimulation. We are controlled by so many things. And it is absolutely essential to recognize that reality. Because if I waste my time trying to become the Lord and Master of this world, it doesn't end well. So is there any distinction, you know, between this idea that I am God, whatever God may mean, and, and you know, myself, I, I am God. There is no distinction between God and me. You know, you know how far out this is? Um, what's his name? Oh, well, I'll tell you a couple of things because I just looked on the Internet. And one of the things that astounded me was how many people were quoting a, a verse from Psalms, from the Bible. And the, the Bible verse is, Be still and know that I am God. And the vast majority of people that have taken that, at least all at the top of the feed, they are applying this teaching to the idea that I should be still and meditate so that I will recognize that I am God. But in the context of what was stated, God was speaking to one of his prophets and say, telling them, you be still and know that I am God. You will come to know me. And here, you've got all over the internet, everybody interpreting this as, I, I'm saying that to myself, that if I should be still, I will come to know God. This is an example of how the false ego, which covers the ahankara, that covers the soul, really seeks to be stroked. And the idea that I am all-powerful, that I'm supremely beautiful, that I'm supremely lovable, and all these things, that I'm the center of all attention, 
This is a product of this corruption of the soul through what is called the ahankara or the false ego. And then we had um, Where did I, excuse me for a second. So you remember Morgan Freeman he did a he did a movie the story of god and in that he played god and so he was asked in an interview how difficult was it to play god and his response was not difficult at all because i am god God resides within me, and I reside within him. We are the same. I am God. And it's just like, you know, this is not cool. When you put this philosophical idea out there, it can only result in, in misfortune and unhappiness for the jiva, for the living being. There must be a recognition that I am not God. I may be an eternal spiritual being of the same essence, but there is a distinction. We are qualitatively the same, but quantitatively there is a vast difference. So in the Kata Upanishad, and also in the Svetasvatara Upanishad, there is a, a famous mantra, Nitya Nityanam Chaitana Chaitanam, Eko Bahunam Yo Badhidhati Kaman. And it says that He is the eternal among all eternal entities and the chief conscious being amongst all conscious beings. And among the many living entities, he is the chief who fulfills their desires. So if I go to just that quote about sparks from the fire and I say, okay, the spark is the fire, there's no distinction. And, and I limit myself to, to that, this is not a full understanding. There must be the understanding that there is an absolute truth. There is a higher spiritual existence, which is not me, but which I am intimately connected with. In the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali, coming from a whole different perspective, not from the Vedic perspective, but from the Yoga perspective, he taught, he taught, he describes, he used the term, the yogic term, for all living beings as purusha. Purusha literally means person. 
but it also connotes the desire to enjoy or to experience pleasure and happiness. That is part of our eternal spiritual nature. So he says that amongst all Purushas, there is one special and different Purusha, and he is called Ishwara. The Sanskrit term is Purusha Vishesha, which means that extraordinary and really different than all the other, all the other Purushas. Ishwara, he says, is a special Purusha unlike other Purushas, being untouched by afflictions, by material activity, untouched by the fruits of actions, karmic fruit, untouched by latent impressions and material desires. In him, in Ishwara, the seed of omniscience is unsurpassed. It is infinite. He is also the teacher of all ancient teachers, this great Rishis, being not limited by time. And the transcendental sound personifying him is Om. I, you know, we have such a short period of time here. And so I'm just, I'm just kind of throwing stuff out there at you and I'm going through it quite fast. This actually requires a much more serious and deeper look. In order for us to try and begin to change our thinking, our approach to things, our, our consciousness, how we are going to choose to live, how we are going to come to find perfection and happiness. So, um, is there a connection then between this Paramatma or Supreme Soul and the Atma? And what is the nature of that connection? It states in the Brahma Samhita, Sa nitya nitya sambandaha prakritischa paraivasha. The same jiva is eternal and for all eternity and without a beginning joined to the supreme soul by the tie of an eternal kinship. He is the transcendental, he is transcendental spiritual potency. So it describes that there is an eternal relationship the reason that you desire love, the reason that you desire a soulmate, a partner, is because we have an eternal connection that we have completely abandoned, that we have forgotten, that we have set aside. Real spiritual life is not just about coming myself to understand my spiritual existence. But what is my nature and how do I fulfill my eternal spiritual nature? There is another verse from the Mundaka Upanishad that describes the situation within the material world of the living being and the supreme 
being, the supreme soul. And they use an analogy of two birds in the same tree. Two birds, the Paramatma and the individual Jiva, are perched like friends on the same branch of a tree, which represents the material body. One of them, the Jiva, is eating the fruit of the tree according to his karma and feeling always morose, while the other, the Paramatma, is silent and non-participating witness. It will not be until you re-establish this eternal connection with the actual Lord of your heart that you will experience the highest perfection and the overwhelming spiritual ecstasy that is love for the Supreme Soul. It is called Prema. If a person becomes stuck and we see this, many gurus teach that I am Brahman, that God is Brahman, we are therefore all the same and we're all equal and that's it. If you get stuck on that level, you do not come to appreciate this amazing connection that is your birthright, that is inherently yours this eternal bond of kinship that is awakened by appropriate spiritual practices. For a person, and, and this is the saddest thing, when a people adopt the idea that I am God and that's it, end of story, you're going to have two kind of outcomes here. Either a person is going to become an extreme hedonist because if all of you are me, then there's no question of me exploiting someone else. If I use you, and this, this is why you have this horrible situation. I mean, it's so rampant where you have gurus, so-called gurus, exploiting their disciples and students taking their money, having sex with them and discarding them, demanding their adoration and worship in their mind. Hey, you are me. All your stuff is my stuff. <laughs> your wonderful body is for me to enjoy because it's also mine. This is the actual mentality. They don't come out and say this overtly, but this is actually where it goes. But the greatest tragedy is when you become caught up in this idea that I am God, you deprive yourself of the highest possible ecstatic experience, the greatest samadhis that can be experienced by the living being in the awakening of this eternal connection of transcendental love. So, 
you know, I, I, I felt compelled to bring it up because over the last couple of weeks, I've had so many people say, oh, but aren't we also God? And the answer is no, you're not God. You are his part and parcel. You are like a tiny little fragment of the Supreme. You are eternally an individual. It is not true that you can lose your individuality. That is a temporary experience that may last for eons if one is able to merge into the ocean of light. But eventually one will fall from that condition again because we will be stimulated to act because it is part of our eternal nature to be active. That is a part of the nature of the soul itself. But when, sometimes when you, when you bring this up, you know, somebody uh, responded to me, oh, but that's your truth. It's like, <laughs> that is so juvenile. That, that statement that's become so popular. Oh, that's your truth. That is so juvenile. I'm sorry. You know, we, we need to get a grip. Society is degenerating because of this urge, this tendency towards selfishness and self-centeredness and self-importance that we can't even accept any objective reality anymore. Everybody's got to have their own truth. Whatever you want to do, that's your truth. That's the, your reality. No, it's not. That's a fantasy. That's not helpful. That will lead to unhappiness for you and for others. So, sorry if I'm a little bit strong and uh, crusade-like. <laughs> but really, I, I, I have a hard time just swallowing it because I know it's not in the individual soul's interest to buy into philosophies that are hurtful, that will hurt them and not bring them to the highest possible spiritual experience. And there is a need for us to be humble. There is a need for us to be open. There is a need for us to accept higher spiritual authority. And don't think your mind and your desires is the highest spiritual authority. No, I've got my own truth. <laughs> you know, that's what little kids say. I'm not, I can't hear you. Nah, 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 nah. I can't hear you. Can't. This is what kids, this, isn't that what little kids do? And now it's progressed into society in a more sophisticated way. Uh, I have my truth. That's your truth. You know? But it's the same mentality as little kids. And it's all built on stroking the false ego, which binds the living being and blinds them and makes it is the eternal enemy of the soul itself. So there we go. I, w I won't be like this anymore, I promise. <laughs> but I have to speak up. Dear friend, because you are all my friends. Dear friend, sorry, but you are not God. You are a glorious, eternal, spiritual being. You are Heritage, spiritual heritage, is in, uh, uh, an experience of eternal, uninterrupted, blissful, loving exchanges with the highest possible object of love and spiritual fulfillment. 
If you buy into this idea, it is, it is an incomplete idea. It is incomplete. It is not the full picture. It was proposed first by a teacher in the seventh century. It is not an original Vedic idea. It is not part of the original Vedic teaching. Okay. If I bruised anybody, please forgive me. <laughs> the intention was not to bruise. I don't mind bruising false egos. That's okay. That's, we, we need sometimes to get, you know, corrected for our own good. But um, anybody have a question? I'm not going to ask that guy a question. <laughs> He's too close-minded. <laughs> no. You know, we, I, I, I'm fully prepared, fully prepared to sit for hours, days if necessary, and speak on the subject with anyone, and I will bring to the party a vast ocean of spiritual authority and knowledge. It's got nothing to do with me. I'm a complete jerk. I'm an idiot. I, I don't have anything going for me. But there is a wealth of vast spiritual knowledge. And people may pluck an idea from here and pluck an idea from there and try to join it together and create a new idea and a new philosophy. That's been going on for thousands of years. But if we resort to the actual foundation of where people are plucking ideas from and you look at what's actually presented there, it is what I have shared with you. Again, my apologies if I've caused any disruption. Not the intention. I want to see everyone happy. I want to see everyone filled with spiritual love and spiritual realization. Okay? Anybody going to throw anything? No? Okay. The surest way to come to this realization and to come to this experience and to experience the awakening of this transcendental love and to come to meet the Supreme Soul, to uncover my true spiritual identity is through this process of chanting these transcendental sounds.
rock.